Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. This is God's word. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord, God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them. And they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but went a-whoring after other gods, and bowed themselves unto them. And they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord. But they did not so. But when the Lord raised, uh, raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge, and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them, to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I, will, I also will not henceforth drive out any from among them, before them, of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it, or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. This evening, many will celebrate the end of the old year and the dawn of the new. The earth has cycled around the sun once again. Yet the thing about cycles is that the beginning and end are largely arbitrary. Where is the beginning and the end of a circle? The end of our year is today. In China, the new year begins on February 10th. On the Jewish calendar, the new year uh, began in October, which seems odd to me because according to my calculations, it should be in April. And I don't mean to get into a debate about dates, only to prove the difficulty of finding the beginning and end with, of cycles. Even the cycles in nature have difficult identifying beginnings and ends. Yet the Bible teaches us that time and history have an end, a purpose. God has planned the end from the beginning and is working toward that conclusion. And yet part of that plan involves the use of cycles. We see this in Genesis, as the Lord declares, While earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. But today, rather than looking at some of these naturalistic cycles, we look at a different and more ominous cycle. We call it the Judges Cycle. In the seventh book of the Old Testament, we discover the consistent rebellion of the people of God. The language of purity, or rather impurity, familiar to us by now in our study of the concept, appear 
with dramatic consequences in this passage. In brief, we may place the beginning of the cycle with Joshua. While alive, the people remain faithful. When he dies, the people rebel and worship other gods. The Lord's anger grows hot, and he sells them into the hand of their enemies. They suffer and repent and cry unto the Lord, and the Lord has compassion on his people and sends a judge. The judge rescues the people from their enemies, and while the judge lives, the people remain faithful. But when he dies, uh, they go away and follow other gods, and the cycle repeats. As the author of this book describes this cycle, we learn some important truths about purity. And we will look at them as we look at the abandonment of the Lord, the judges of the Lord, and the word of the Lord. The abandonment of the Lord, the judges of the Lord, and the word of the Lord. By the heading, The Abandonment of the Lord, we see the way the Lord, the, the Israel abandons the Lord, not the way the Lord ab- abandons his people, for the Lord never abandons his people. But we see this uh, note of abandonment. After all, the word in the ESV uh, translation is abandoned, that is, appears as forsook in the authorized version. And turning away from the Lord, Israel abandons their own identity. The author of Judges emphasizes the severe nature of this act, along with its severe consequences. So where does the Judges cycle begin? Well, we can only begin with where the passage begins in verse 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. What a doleful statement. Remember that the word Baal, or Baal, or however you want to pronounce it, means master or owner. It refers here not to a particular god, but to any number of gods who are advanced by their worshippers as having mastery of some force or element. Usually they are uh, fertility gods, some idol claiming to help its adherents achieve some form of prosperity in an agrarian economy. Notice the horror, the severity of this act that is noted in verse 12. And they forsook the Lord, God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. The author begins by reminding us of the deliverance from Egypt. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who delivered them, who rescued them, from the slavery in Egypt. How do you abandon the Lord who demonstrated his power over the pantheon of Egypt? How do you exchange him for all the idols that mirror the powerless gods of Egypt? How do you serve the gods incapable of saving their own people from the invading might of Israel? Can we not understand how provoking this was to the Lord, how it provoked him to anger? The author continues to detail their sin in verse 13, and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Here the term Baal appears with the term Ashtaroth, and this expression appears uh, in the plural to refer uh, to the female idols, uh, Baal is singular, Balaam, that you might see, is plural. Astera is singular, Asteroth is plural. And where Baal is masculine, Asherah is female, is feminine. And these are both sides of 
fertility goddesses. These go- the goddesses are often associated, the Ashtaroth, with groves and trees and poles. And here neither male nor female idols rem- remain unworshipped by Israel. No manner of obtaining prosperity is left untried, as Israel abandons the Lord their God. And thus the Lord's wrath burns against his unfaithful people. Look at verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could, no longer, could not any longer stand before their enemies. It said that the, he delivers them, the Lord delivers them into the hand of the spoilers. It reminds us of Exodus chapter 17, where the Amalekites come and attacked Israel from the rear on their way to Sinai. And where there, the Lord is in their presence and protects them uh, from the Amalekites. Now, he no longer protects them. More, the Lord sells his people, and the implication here is selling them into slavery. It reminds us of Joseph being sold into the hands of Egypt. And so instead of victory, Israel meets defeat. Instead of putting the nations around them to tribute and slavery, Israel finds itself paying tribute and serving the nations around them. In short, the Lord stops treating Israel as his people. As they have abandoned the Lord, he stops treating them as his people. As they have violated the very essence of the covenant, I will be your God, you will be my people. They have rejected him as God, and so he no longer treats them as his people. And so he gives Israel what their actions say they want. They want slavery to the nations. They want a new owner. They want a new master. They want a new God. And so he gives them what they want. Naturally, none in Israel would make such a claim. None in Israel during the time of the judges says, yes, we want to serve the other nations. But that is what they desire. That is what their actions claim as they serve the gods of the nations around them. Israel wants to have their cake and eat it. They want the benefits of the Lord and the prosperity and the pleasures of sin at the same time. They want the benefits of being uh, right with God and the benefits of being wrong with God at the same time. And the two cannot go together. They have not learned the lesson that Jesus will express in the New Testament. No man can serve two masters, for either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Israel still tries to take possession of the land, but fails in verse 15. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them. And they were greatly distressed. The Lord does what he promises to do, even despite Israel trying to go and conquer land. When he told them explicitly, and when he promised to them, it will not go well for you. Israel has not learned the lesson of Kadesh Barnea after their sin at Kadesh Barnea when they refused to go into the land where they believed the ten spies rather than Joshua and Caleb. The Lord said, "You, I will not let you go up. And yet the people tried. They got an army together. They said, yes, all right, we will go now. And they failed. Here the Lord does what he promises to do. And it's exemplified in the judges when you get to Samson, the final judge in the judges' cycle. When he 
His hair is cut off and he essays to go against the Philistines. He doesn't realize that the power has left him. Israel doesn't realize that the power has left him, even though that is exactly what the Lord promised would happen to them. Their sins, the author sums up the plight of Israel acutely here at the end of verse 15. They are greatly distressed. Their sin has brought Egypt to Canaan. They have chosen slavery in the land of God's freedom. Purity sees the severity of defilement. To be pure, Israel's choice, see, to the pure, Israel's choice seems illogical, insane, and foolish. We struggle to understand it. And yet in our hearts, we fear that such folly still lingers in our own soul. We know the temptation of prosperity. We have seen the world's voice summoning us to use its power, its methods, its wisdom to get what we want. And those who achieve their desire often find themselves enslaved to that very thing they have desired so fervently. It is the promise, it is the the result of the judges in our own day. And so let us learn this vital lesson that nothing matters but the Lord God Almighty. We ignore the import of Jesus' words when he says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We often read this in the light of the concept of heaven and our soul's health, but what life has a soul apart from the Lord? What good is there for a soul but that which is found in the presence of God? Between God and money, there is no choice. God must always win. And yet we see many make the contrary choice. But in doing so, they bring nothing but death to their soul. For that choice of anything other than the Lord God is an abandonment of the Lord, an abandonment of identity, an abandonment of the soul, and an abandonment of life. We see the abandonment of the Lord, but secondly, I want us to see the judges of the Lord. Ironically, while Israel abandons their God, their God does not abandon them. Yes, he sells them. Yes, his anger burns hot against them. Yes, he will send them into travail. He will put them under heavy taskmasters, but he does not abandon his people. He remains faithful and sends judges to rescue them. We see Israel's response while the judge is alive and what resp- how that response changes when the judge dies. The author of Judges recognizes the grace and mercy and the covenant love of the Lord as we see in verse 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. When the judge arrives, when God sends his judge, that judge puts an end to the harassment that Israel endures. In some ways, this is the signal of the judge's work. When you begin to see the spoilers fail, But even with God's grace apparent in the sending of the judge, Israel remains rebellious. As the judge appears, look at verse 17. 
And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods, and bowed themselves unto them, that turned away quickly, quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. Whereas their fathers obeyed the commandments of the Lord, they turned out of that way. And we see that language of matrimony indicated here. The heinous nature of Israel's sins. While their fathers were faithful, they turned aside to commit adultery with idols. We have here also language from the second commandment, going out of the way. The Bible reminds us again how important that commandment is, connecting it with the adultery of idolatry that plagued Israel, even at the base of Mount Sinai. And yet the Lord shows grace to his people when they cry out in their distress. Look at verse 18. And when the, the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. At the end of this verse, we see the motive and the means behind sending of the judge. Though it appears here out of chronological order, we can observe how from idolatry to selling to groaning to judge, the cycle progresses. This language of groaning reminds us of Exodus. In Exodus 2, verse 23, and Exodus 6, 5, as God says, And I also have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Here that language is borrowed back. His people are groaning under their tribulation to the Lord. And the Lord hears and the Lord remembers his covenant and the Lord sends a deliverer. The judge comes delivering his people. The Lord is with him. The Lord delivers Israel by his hand out of, the, out of their enemies. He resembles the person and work of Moses, but not as good. He is more like a lesser Joshua, but still not as good. But it never lasts. You see this in verse 19. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Once the judge dies, the people forget everything they learned from the experience. They return to their idolatry. They even seem to grow worse in their rebellion. They continue in what can only be described as a death spiral, hurtling downward. Each successive judge seems worse than the one before. That's the point of the book of Judges. This cycle must stop. Something is necessary, better than the judges. That something is a king, but not the king that, they that the people imagine that they need. In fact, what they need is not a king so much as a new neck. But that last word repeats a concept found at Sinai. In verse 19, nor from their stubborn way. The word there is hard. It's the same word that God uses when he warns Israel on Sinai, I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. 
what the people need is a new neck and lack of stubbornness. And for God did not lie when he described the character of Israel. In the land, that same stubborn idolatry dominates their hearts. Physical freedom from Egypt could not obtain for Israel spiritual freedom from their idolatry. But purity learns from the consequences and deliverances from sin. Instead of a death spiral downward, the purity of God's people rises heavenward. We will not obtain perfection in this life. Purity for us is going to be a progressive state. It is something that God is working within us. And therefore, we will have to get used to the reality of sin. And that getting used to doesn't mean accepting it as a state, but learning from it, rejecting it. We burn holiness into our soul through reflection on grace and forgiveness. Our cycle is sin, repentance, forgiveness, and obedience. There is something willful about our death-spiraling hearts. There is something that we see in our own souls that tends to drag us downward, but in Christ we have the Holy Spirit enabling us to choose to learn and to reject sin. It isn't that we sin, but what we choose to do with the sin. Are we rising or are we falling as we deal with sin? Are we in a death spiral with sin? refusing to learn from it, to repent of it, to put it to death, and to give ourselves to obedience? Or are we rising by the Spirit's aid to put away sin, to crucify the old man, and to live in Christ? In that work, in the old, as in the Old Testament, so in the New, the Lord sends His ambassadors to help His people. The greatest deliverer, of course, everything that the people need that king that they needed was Christ, the, the one who would come and not just be their king, but also deal with their stubbornness, to put away their idols. That was Christ. And yet he's Christ, through Christ, the Lord still sends his ambassadors to proclaim that truth of liberty to the people, to help his people. Purity remains faithful to the Lord's ambassadors, pastors, writers, mentors, all represent God's gracious gifts to His people to aid in their sanctification. The question is, what use are we making of the resources the Lord puts in our life? This is the time where we often think of the new year and uh, many make resolutions. Let me suggest to you that it's good to make new, new Year's resolutions, but one of the problems with resolutions, you probably know, is by January you've all forgotten them. The sin cycle requires us to resolve every day to live according to the Lord's grace, to live according to the Lord's word. For we see the abandonment of the judges, uh, the abandonment of the Lord, the judges of the Lord, and finally the word of the Lord. The author of Judges ends with an unknown prophet 
giving a message from the Lord to his people. It is a message of judgment and of testing that called Israel to repent. The stubborn nature of Israel reignites the Lord's wrath in verse 20. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded their father, and have not hearkened unto my voice. The Lord recounts the sins of his people. They have broken the covenant. The very thing they did at Sinai. They have violated the very stipulation that the Lord required at the mountain. Now, therefore, he says in verse 19, uh, Exodus 19:5, "If ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, the people have transgressed the covenant because they have not listened to the voice of the Lord. Their fathers at the mountain assented. All the people answered together and said, "All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do." So the Lord's judgment is correct. You agreed to do everything that I told you, and you haven't gotten into to the first or second commandment before you've broken it all. The Lord's judgment is correct. You have, they have broken the covenant. They have not listened to his voice. There is no defense, no mitigating circumstance. Israel is guilty. And thus the eternal judge speaks the people's sentence in verse 21 I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died. The advancement of the nation of Israel into the land promised to them halts. The victory that Joshua enjoyed stops. This sets the chronology of this prophecy after Joshua's death, a matter that will soon appear important in this passage. For the remnant nations that remain in the land serve the Lord's purpose in verse 22, that through them I may prove Israel, which whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. At some point in the judges' cycle, the Lord establishes the people of the land, the nations surrounding Israel, for the purpose of testing Israel. Israel must choose the Lord not because he is the only choice of deity, but because they see his worth above all the idols of the nations surrounding them. It is a choice that is not unfamiliar to Israel. It echoes Joshua's own words from Joshua 24:15. If it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day, Joshua says, who you will serve, whether the Lord or whether any of the other gods. Even those that Joshua left in the land would serve this purpose in verse 23. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. Joshua had died by this time, so this verse refers to the nations in the land that Israel had failed to drive out in the days of Joshua. And if you want a list of all of those nations, I'll leave that uh, to your reading at the end of the book of Joshua. But right now, my friend, the char today the charge of Joshua comes to you. For there is no lack of idols or powers or methods or philosophies for you to follow, for you to serve in this day and age. 
And so choose. But as for me, I urge you to serve the Lord, for no other deserves your worship. All the rest, every philosophy, ideology, methodology, are vapor. An appearance of power, but weak as mist. For your problem in the end is not the idols, but the stubborn heart that lies within you, that loves evil, that loves sin. And Jesus alone is able to deal with that stubbornness, that enslavement. For he is God, made man to serve, to save humans like you and me. He lived a life without evil and without sin. He died on the cross to pay the penalty that sin deserved, the judgment of the eternal judge, which is right and true, our condemnation, which is just. But he rose from the grave to proclaim freedom of soul to all who believe on him. Do you? Do you believe that what Jesus did, he did for you? Will you turn from sin and follow Christ? My friend, who will you choose? Christian, the Lord tests the purity of his people. We can identify with Israel. For we, like Israel, live among a plethora of idols. We know the temptation of every philosophy, every ideology, every methodology, and all the other ologies that you can name. The temptation to follow them, to trust in them, to provide prosperity or anything else that we think we need. We do not live in an environment where Christianity is the only philosophy going. We live in an environment where many choose so many other ways. And it behooves us in the purity that we pursue, in the purity that God produces in his people, to daily choose Christ. I say daily choose Christ, but almost it's an hourly, minutely, every moment as we are confronted with competing methodologies, completing worldviews. For Christ truly is the only way. Purity heeds also the Lord's warnings. We need to heed the challenge of God's word through his ministers. We need to heed the warnings that come to us through the word of God. The warnings that the way of sin does not produce prosperity but ends in death. And the Lord does not stop sending messengers to his people. He sends his word written in the Bible. He sends pastors to preach it to his people. He sends mentors and parents and spouses and friends to speak the word to us, to help train us in holiness. And we recognize how often we are the ones who are stubborn and stiff-necked. Only those who are stubborn and stiff-necked fail to listen to the word of God. Only the fool remains wise in his own eyes. Only the impure listen alone to their hearts. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask that you would forgive our foolish stubbornness. Purify our hearts as we repent and turn to you. Fill us with a horror of sin, that we may strive for godliness. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.